iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark, joined by Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson. Now, later on, we've got a very special preview section of the show looking at England against Wales. But for now, we've got to jump right in. It's finally, finally happened. The hipster clash we've all been waiting for. Two middling sides in a group with it all to play for in a second game. Going at it, finishing 3-3, which basically leaves them in no good state whatsoever. Cameroon 3, Serbia 3. Game of the tournament, Gregor Robertson. Without a doubt, it was an absolute belter. Just so many kind of moments and diversions that you just did not see coming in the game. Just, I thought that Serbia were completely out of sight. First of all, I, I couldn't see Cameroon, apart from an odd break up the pitch, doing much. And and then they obviously took the lead. And then Serbia with two goals in kind of first half stoppage time. Another straight after the break. That was a great goal, the third goal. Mitrovic's mm. team move. So many times people could have shot and there was a bit, there was composure and one more pass, one more pass. Easy finish for Mitrovic. And you thought they were in complete control. And then on comes Vincent uh, Abubakar and absolutely changed the game. He was remarkable. It was pr- pr- pretty straightforward. I mean, what he did was he ran in behind their defence. <laughs> mm. he, he made forward runs, whereas Chuba Moting was a kind of target man and he didn't really commit anyone forward. They had to do something, as we've seen so many, you know, so many times in the last couple of days. It's getting to the point where teams, if they're behind, they have to go for it. And Cameroon went for it, and uh, Abu Bakar's goal was extraordinary. I think it was a kind of finish where he thought he was offside. I'll just try <laughs> yeah, this. You know what I mean? well. yeah. <laughs> and then somehow VAR said it was a goal, and he was, he was celebrating. And then you know, unselfishness to to square for the equaliser, and still there could have been more goals after it. It was without doubt the best game of the tournament and I think it'll take some topping. It means I'm not going to take any notice of semi-automated offsides anymore. I mean, it's meaningless, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I correct me if I'm wrong, I was saying in the office earlier, this felt like one of the only times I can remember where a goal was flagged offside and then given afterwards, which is why it lends it to Gregor's theory that he just thought, oh, sod it, I'm just going to try a little stupid chip into the goal. You're right, Alison, completely bizarre. I, I mean, I don't blame the human element of the flag because even looking at it afterwards, I thought it was offside and there'd been some sort of major glitch. It was only when much later you were shown the lines and it was just onside. But what's the point? What is the point of the chip in the ball and the semi-automated system if it's flawed and requires deep analysis? I mean, it was like... I mean, I don't know. No, but I don't think anybody in the stadium thought he, he was onside. So that even the, even the initial replay, you saw it and you thought, oh, he's off. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. But I do agree with you. I think it helped him score because sometimes 
It's, how often do you see that flag goes? I mean, I know the flag hadn't quite gone up, but he thought he was offside and the demeanour of the staging was one of offside. So you, the, when that happens, the player sort of does something either tricksy or silly or petulant. I mean, he might have gone for petulant, imagine that. But he went for, oh, I, I, I'll just chip the keeper. What the heck? It's probably offside. Never mind. But when you relax like that, you can do wonderful things. So it was it was utterly bizarre. But I, what struck me about the game was really that we saw two completely different Serbia teams. From the, in the first game, they were so deferential and scared of their own shadows slightly and didn't really look, just look wimpy and not the sort of passionate Serbia I was expecting. I mean, it's really, it's really easy to give Brazil that sort of deference given their history and their current squad, but it, it, it did seem disappointing from a Serbia point of view. And they were the complete opposite um, against Cameroon. They Part of the reason the game panned out as it did, when, as you say, Gregor, they were in control, but their, their defending was very naive and they, they were very high up the pitch. They were acting like a team that felt they were going to go on to win by a high margin and were going to have fun and be aggressive. And well, it backfired horribly, didn't it? But I, I, I think of all the games I've seen and I've seen them all, I think that's the example of a team maybe England running them a close second in this, where the first game and the second game, the difference in personality and approach, it was, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. And, and actually the naive team here was the European team. Yeah, I would be a wee bit, I, I would, sorry, I would have a slightly different view about the first game. I thought they did well to hold out for an hour. I thought they were quite resolute. And yes, they didn't have the same level of ambition. But I, I, I actually judged Brazil's performance and result better because of the opposition, I think Serbia are a good side. But they just clearly have a self-destruct button. Because there was periods of the game where they were outstanding. The two wing-backs were brilliant. Zivkovic, particularly on the right. And Tadic and Milinkovic Savic behind Mitrovic. You know, all linking up really well. And they were all involved, I think, in the in the th- that third goal I, was, I mentioned. So, you know, I, I know it's uh, it was a collapse. And there was some really kind of comical, almost comical defending in the, in the second half. But... I still wouldn't rule them out. It's going to be there's going to be so many groups on this last day that are just going to be fascinating. No, who, I still, who knows? I still, I still, I still, I still love Serbia. Don't get me wrong, but I just, I just felt we. Saw, I mean, for example, I think my favourite celebration of the tournament so far is Pavlovic's goal because that was their first goal, and he's a defender, and his face contorted, and the whole bench and the whole backup team and everybody just went absolutely crazy it had that feel of it being the winner of a major tournament feel to it it was such a breakthrough for them and the reason I I actually don't know if anyone remembers it but I predicted that um, that we might have the uh, Alexander Mitrovic might be the leading golds and boot contender for this World Cup which now seems slightly unlikely but at least he got off the mark but maybe 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 it was that you know the space-time continuum was Upset because there were two Mitrovic's on the pitch and that shouldn't happen at all. <laughs> and two Milinkovic Savic as well. It's weird, Goalkeeper isn't it? And, oh, yes, <laughs> some very common names there. A game that quite literally had everything. And even the, some of the themes that we've uh, been noticing in this World Cup, as you say, a high line leading to entertaining games. We saw that with Saudi Arabia, of course, in their famous win over Argentina. And Alison, you touched on it there. Pavlovic's goal, one of two 
in the six minutes of added time in the first half, I kept looking up at the screen and going, are we, we're still, are they, is this the first half they've, they've scored that second goal in? I couldn't quite believe it. Now, a key question for both of you. We're picking it as the game of the tournament so far in the way that we're cool kids, you know, on the game podcast. <laughs> we picked Cameroon v Serbia. Uh, either goal, either Mitrovic's team goal, Gregor, you picked it out already, or Abu Bakar's, I'm offside, I'm going to chip it anyway. Either of them getting anywhere near Richarlison's as goal of the tournament. Absolutely. Both for very different reasons. I mean, the scoop was remarkable. It's just, it, it's one of those, again, that kind of, your mind sort of twisted a bit by it because you think, oh, it's, it's almost been ruined by the fact that, by VAR. But then you go, oh, hang on a minute, it, would have been, it wouldn't have counted without VAR. So <laughs> they kind of, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes the offside flag or, or VAR can, sometimes players are, are reticent to celebrate as well. Um, but this was just a bit of a mind bender. So that was a remarkable finish, absolutely. And that was the best team goal as well so far. Yes, I would say they're both better. Yeah, I had a wonderful, uh, slightly cringy moment in the office where I've been trying to pay attention, particularly when I know I'm on the podcast to these games. So I sit there and sometimes have my headphones in listening to the commentary. And my colleague revealed that after Mitrovic's goal, I shouted in Alan Partridge fashion, total football! (laughs) (laughs) Which is not a phrase often heard on the Times floor, let me tell you. Alison, you must have seen many wonderful, eloquent chips in your time as a football reporter. How does this compare with some of the best? I think it's unlike anything I've seen because of how we've discussed the sense that it didn't count, but it did count. I'm not sure. Maybe because VAR hasn't been around long enough for that to be a factor. It just, I liked it a lot. Let's put it that way. I liked it a lot. And I, I was rooting for Serbia. So it must have been darn good, mustn't it? Also, it, had to, it still had a bit of jeopardy because it was it spent a long time in the air and then you thought yeah. it might bounce over. But no, it bounced and went into the roof of the net. So, yeah, that was a cracker. Brilliant moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, huge, huge credit to Vincent Abubakar then in that sense, because is this right? We finally found a goal which is justifying the existence of VAR for Alison Rudd. Well, no, because, because it spoiled it, didn't it? Because an element of VAR is the new form of, you know, chip-assisted offside. And that failed. So... Even when VAR gets something right, he gets something wrong. <laughs> oh, no. I thought we had a full house. I thought we had a game that had done it all. A game that also, by the way, let's be honest, let's not forget the important um, introduction of Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting, the Stoke and PSG legend, because as good as Abu Bakar was, I thought he was an important factor off the bench. So this game really had everything. And Alison, if only you'd said it converted you onto a fan of VAR, then we really would have had a full house. But, Did you really think that was going to happen, Tom? I No, I didn't. But I thought I'd set it up anyway, just to give you the chance. You'll keep the listeners guessing. Just when we thought we'd had all our fun for the day, along came the next game, South Korea 2, Ghana 3. Alison, what did you make of this one? Yeah, well, I was, I was expecting to have a bit of a, a breezy time. But I don't know, they're two teams that it's hard not to feel a fondness for, for various reasons, I won't go into all of them. But I like the the character and the vibe of them both. And there were scenes uh, of the Ghana team arriving and they pointed out on the BBC, look, they haven't all got their earphones in. They're not (laughs) in their own little bubbles, the players. They were singing, they were playing drums, they were clapping, they were acting like they were a group of supporters. And this was as, you know, as they got off the bus and walking into the stadium. So you think... Okay, they're looking re- <laughs> looking quite relaxed. How is this going to 
how is this going to play out in the game? And I don't know if there's a link between those their performance and their attitude before, but I'd like to think there is because it was sort of football that you play when you're confident and you have faith in each other and you have a belief in your system. And so they take a two goal lead. They've worked out and they, they, you know, it was quite clearly a plan to expose the the lack of confidence in the South Korea keeper, if I can put it that way. It seems a bit mean to point out he's not the tallest, but he, he doesn't command his area. So they were exploiting that. They were they were just getting the ball floating in above his head. And so he just couldn't, his reach, he couldn't quite get there. And they were being very aggressive in those situations. And it paid off twice. South Korea played nice football along the the ground. They were, uh, their character was great. They they kept going, they kept plugging away. They played neat, neat little triangles. It was nice. But Ghana, you know, the, the players who had belief in the system managed to get the winner. It was all done in a very short, short space of time. And it was it was thrilling. It was thrilling stuff. It was it was it was great. There were like, it was one of those games where you don't want either side to lose, really. And you'd like them both to progress in the tournament because of their appro- approach to to the football, which is that they, as you know, I bang on a lot about I don't know what the England psyche vibe is. I don't know what England style is. But I feel like you can identify clearly how South Korea play and how Ghana play, and it sort of it sort of was exhibited to us in this game. It was it was it was great fun and and showed the value of analyzing your opponent, working out the weak spots, and exploiting them. It's not that difficult, is it? The only thing I would say is that it took South Korea until the second half of the second game to show me to show us what exactly their identity and is and how we know they can play. They're technically really good. My two biggest takeaways from this game and from today is this that I'm still a massive fan of the cross and header finish. Like Kim Jun Su, two crosses in the second half for Gui Sung were just like exquisite. The first one was on a plate and the second one he kind of it's one of those where he's kind of race running out of of pitch and you're not sure whether he's going to get to it or not and he cuts it back and it's again on a plate. They were brilliant goals. Up there were the best goals to watch, I think, in football. And also, I'm a big fan of the extra stoppage time. I mean, it's creating more drama. We're just getting more drama and more football. And we saw some serious drama at the end with the, the manager, Paolo Bento, South Korea manager, racing over to, to the referee to berate him for playing for not letting them take a corner when he'd already gone over the lot of 10 minutes. You know, it was kind of, how long do you want us to play for? <laughs> But it is um, it is it is a common misconception in football that the, the the laws of the game state that you allow as long as it needs for a penalty to be taken, but you do not have to allow a corner to no. be taken. But no, this is, again, this is another hugely enjoyable game. I, I, I've omitted to mention uh, Jordan Ayew's cross for Ghana's second as well. Beautiful in swinging ball, and Mohamed Kudus is a star. He he's a real standout for Ghana, and Ghana in the first half were so dominant. I love their shape. They look really well organised, committed players forward. They were brave. And then you have to say that South Korea were brave in the second half and made a real, ga- real game of it. And you have to give, as well, Ghana credit for coming back after that. Another cracker, absolute cracker. And I agree with Alison. It was almost a game where you wanted to be a draw. Yeah, it felt a bit like a cup game to me. I know the first one was they kind of had everything uh, in that Serbia-Cameroon game, but this one felt like a bit of a ding-dong back-and-forth cup match and I think in terms of the tactics as well Alison you talked about South Korea not showing it and Gregor you kind of slightly critically said they didn't show it till the second half 
But to talk about your points, Gregor, in terms of get the ball in the box, if you've got good delivery, get the balls in the box. It felt to me like South Korea just kind of went in at half time and went, well, that seemed to work against us. Why don't we try it against them? Why don't we just get the ball wide and get it in the box? Because we can't defend it. Maybe they can't defend it either. And it was, as you say, Greg, it's quite old fashioned, get it in the mixer, but it worked every time. And I'm very pleased that you picked out Jordan Ayew, who only uh, a few weeks ago, I picked out as an underrated star in the Premier League and you and Hugh Wozencroft laughed at me. So I'm pleased to see that you're you acknowledging his, his status as the uh, Ghanaian David Beckham. Now, there's one part of this game that we're not we're uh, not yet talked about, and that's Inaki Williams. And do we think this is the best accidental dummy of the tournament, maybe of the World Cup ever? Because surely you'd be claiming it, right? You're thinking the guy's at the back post, the ball's coming across. Oh, no, I've left it. I've left it, mate. I've left it. I mean, this this is another thing that I love about these games, the slight element of hilarity. We had it with Abu Bakar's chip. This added to the sense, you know, fantastic, thrilling finish with that third goal. But there was a moment of comedy in there in that your star striker completely fluffs his chance. And he'll get an assist for it too because he nicked him. That's what the commentator said at the time. It's like, did it touch him? Yes, that's an assist. I mean, that kind of makes a, makes a fool of that statistic. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't think he'll care in the slightest. Very true. Very true. Now, of these four teams, obviously certain teams in more dire straits than others. But Alison, we've already talked about Serbia and your confidence of going into their final game. Ghana. Three points going into their final game now when they play Uruguay. We'll talk about their game against Portugal shortly. Who do you guys feel of these teams that we're talking about in terms of the the best games of the tournament so far? Which of them do you think has got the best chance of progressing? Greg, I'll start with you. I mean, they're really, really hard to call. There's no doubt about it. Ghana, you'd have to say Ghana are playing better and look a bit more kind of dangerous, really, than Uruguay. Although Uruguay will come on to, to speak about did kind of again when they were behind and had to do something to try and get back in the game or win the game, they did show that they have players, attacking players that they can get on the pitch and 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 look a bit more dangerous. It's just we're now in you know last chance saloon, so both of them are going to have to go at it. I would probably just edge for Ghana because you have to say as well the barrage that they withstood uh, for good swathe of the, the second half against South Korea was pretty impressive as well. It's not just about they didn't really carve out that many clear chances. They, they they put lots of balls in the boxes, but they were always repelled. So I, I think Ghana looked quite strong. And Uruguay look a little bit, I don't know, a little bit jaded. And then Serbia and Switzerland is like, another one's really hard to call. Really, really hard to call. I just, I, I do think Serbia have possibly got a sting in the tail. Alison, Robertson's done his classic fence sitting. Come on, help him out with some definitive predictions, will you? I, I think Ghana have shown the most character I mean, they were very, very unlucky not to get a draw with Portugal. Um, looked dangerous in that game. They clearly do a lot of work tactically. So I think they will go into their final game really well prepared. But it's, I, mean, it's, it's, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I agree. I think Ghana are the stronger chance there. And I'm just not prepared to give up on Serbia, partly because they're just more fun than Switzerland, aren't they? I mean, the Swiss... This, <laughs> The Swiss are really quite, I mean, they're admirable, but their approach is quite prim and conservative. So I'd rather Serbia went through. Now, if Ghana are going to go through, they must face Uruguay in the final group game, which is sure to be a fiery clash. And obviously, there'll be revenge on the mind of the Ghanaians after that 2010 match in which Luis Suarez famously handled the ball on the line 
to deny them a goal, which then Asamojian then missed from the penalty spot. Uruguay losing last night to Portugal. Gregor, were we a bit disappointed? You touched on it there in terms of their tactics. They were talking about it on the commentary as well in terms of the slightly kind of restrained tactics that Uruguay showed until they went behind. Then they put some more exciting players on. Um, I thought Palestri looked pretty bright, despite never having played for Manchester United and them spending £40 million on him or whatever it was. I thought he looked bright when he came on. But were you disappointed in them being so restrained to start with? You can understand that this is the, this is their kind of DNA. We're talking about teams' identities, and that is very much Uruguay's identity. They are resolute and snarling. And I always thought they were going to be pretty hard to break down. And I think it proved to be true. I don't think Portugal really carved through them. It was a, as I'm sure we'll come to, that one ball into the box that they kind of they lost concentration from, and basically, and I'm not sure whether Ronaldo can claim it or not, but um, I would say not. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. Let's just let's just clear this up right now, right? Alison, surely you're in agreement as well. No chance that's his goal, right? Well, but but then, gentlemen, why would no. you say that it was? Are we accusing him of lying? He's an egomaniac, Alison. That's why. Come on, there's absolutely no way that's his goal. If the if the gentleman says it touched his head, then it touched his head. Let's get the penalty out of the way too, then. Yeah, let's let's get the penalty out of the way, Gregor. Penalty. Good God, no! You must have been despairing as a former defender at that. It's a shambles, yeah. And I've seen I've seen kind of people sharing things on social media saying that there's basically a law that says this very fact that if it's a trailing arm, and it's like then it's, this shouldn't be given. And you could even see the referee walking onto the pitch and sort of humming in hand to himself for ages. <laughs> no. like, oh, I couldn't work out whether he was his mouth, thinking, took it back. Yeah, like, yeah. Was he, was he trying to remember the rules? Was he trying to remember the rules when he can, now hang on, if he falls over and his hand is there, now I'm supposed to, oh, sod it, I'm going to give it anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. Was, that was a joke. But, you know, getting back to Uruguay, they, they, I thought Bentancur and probably along with Bernardo Silva were the two best players in the pitch. Bentancur is, is outstanding. He can do everything. He plays so deep. He plays so deep for them, and, and kind of, but can still spark attacks and drive forward with the ball. He obviously did once in the first half and nearly scored. Probably should have. Valverde's got his full of drive too, but around them, no, there was very little. Nunes kind of huffed and puffed, and as you say, when Palestri came on, when Maxi Gomez came on, he had a good chance. Something happened at least. You know, they showed they showed a bit more energy and life, but I'm not sure it's going to be enough for them. They, but they don't, would you agree? I mean, I, I think their three at the back worked for, for a large chunk of the game. They looked quite comfortable. It, was, it wasn't a car crash performance, no, this. No, I think I think defensively they were okay. I agree with you about Benton Kerr. I think he looked like he's got a different personality with his nation as opposed to his club. Yeah, you're going to be very excited as a Tottenham fan, aren't you? Watching that, thinking, God, this guy's going to be great when we sign him in January. <laughs> <laughs> but he did, did, I mean, he does. He, there's a deference to him when he plays for Spurs. Well, I don't know if that's the influence of his manager, but it, whether he feels contained. But he certainly was um, given the permission to express himself in this game, and he did. And he, well, he takes know, responsibility. Yes, exactly. Again, it's exactly. it's just players having to do that, and and when they're under pressure, when they need to do it, and he's certainly someone who did from he did it from the start actually, and he was good in the first game too. I think he's been outstanding. But as I say, around them, you're looking at some fading lights like Cavani, Suarez when he came on, a solid, resolute team, but very little, you know, creatively. So they're they're going to have to change their their whole mindset going into this last game. Yeah, there seems to be some sort of like 
compulsion to play one of Suarez or Cavani as though, you know, it's illegal not to. Whereas, in fact, this is the problem for young managers, maybe, that they just feel these guys are gods. I can't, I can't drop all of them all, you know, at the same time. I've got to somehow fit them into a system. But you never, I mean, there's a part of me that kept thinking there'll be a moment of magic from one of them. But there's also, there's also very little difference in what we've just been saying about Portugal. They didn't show a great deal of ambition. There was a lot of times, there was one time in the first half when Mendes, the left back, was bursting forward and no one even like attempted to try and get in the box to like for a cross. It was just, he just kind of had to come back and it was a, it was a good position. They just don't commit people forward. And was, you know, maybe it is something to do with how kind of isolated Ronaldo seems. And yes, he, he was, he got in there for a, for an important moment, but it just feels like there's a lot of conservatism there too. Ah, but okay. What do we? What do we? But what do we think? Because a lot of the build-up to the tournament um, wasn't about the tournament. It was about Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United. And having seen two matches now, I wonder: Do we feel that he's a hindrance or a help to his national team? I I think he's a help. I think he still bothers opposition goalkeepers, opposition defenders. I think he has an arrogance that a lot of people on the world stage struggle with. And you, you could argue it doesn't matter whether he touched the ball or not. He was still he was still there making it a difficult choice for the keeper. So that, that sheer personality he has, I think, and I, and I have no evidence that he doesn't help the team, you know, G them up and make them feel like they're better than they might otherwise feel. I have a slight problem with, with clinging to the past for Uruguay, but I don't with Portugal. I think there's a validity to playing Ronaldo. I absolutely agree, but I would also add that there's an argument that he could be both a hindrance and a help in various aspects of his play. And ultimately, when it's when, when Portugal don't have the ball or when in quick transitions, he's not really effective. But if you put a ball in the box, there's no one's going to jump higher. Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of those two factors for me. When you think about some of the things you said, Gregor, about some of those players in terms of committing bodies forward, some of those players, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, João Cancelo, they want to be playing intricate, quick passes, often in the turnovers. Ronaldo doesn't want that. Ronaldo wants the ball out wide and the ball into the box. So you've got two different styles of play essentially blended together. And the demeanours of some of those players almost look like, you know, it's that, like that moment when dad's still on the night out and he's not gone home yet. And you're like, oh, for God's sake, come on, we can't really be ourselves and have fun. You know, because the old bloke's still here wanting us to ping balls into the box for him. I agree, Alison, that that can still be effective. But it does, and I think it still still holds them back. Now, in terms of Portugal going forward, six points were being quite critical, analytical, perhaps. Do you see them as being potential winners of the tournament, potential semi-finalists, either of you? Not quite. Although Pe- Pepe, was that Pepe only? Was Pepe only playing because they knew there would be very old people in the opposition? It's like... <laughs> Let's even it up. <laughs> I think I think Danilo broke a rib or something actually, which he didn't really know about until they got a scan. So he was kind of some another warrior. They have they are they have that kind of that grittiness as well. But the fact is, if you look at the teams that have won major competitions, you even look at the way France played when they won it. They weren't great to watch, and they were solid defensively, had a good foundation, and they had someone who could produce moments. And, you know, we could say that about France again this year, which is why I still think they're going to be right up there. But Portugal could be that team too. They have the talent. So I wouldn't write them off. 
Yep. Solid to beat. Six points from two games. Top of the group. That leads us very neatly onto that famously boring World Cup team, Brazil. Following up that opening uh, 2-0 win with a 1-0 win against Switzerland, I must say I was watching this after the first two games of excitement thinking, here we go, here's another 0-0 until Casemiro's strike, which for me, for all the excitement in a very boring game when I know commentators want to latch on to something that they've seen, took a massive deflection off a kanji, which definitely uh, caused Jan Sommer to get absolutely nowhere near it. My only, I only have two questions on Brazil. Did they miss Neymar or did they look better without him? Alison Rudd. I always think a team looks better without Neymar. I, I, I was, I was, I was at the game in Russia where he did his three hundred rolls, and I just thought, I don't like you. I think he's a flat track bully. I don't think he shines in the big games very often. I don't like players that have that sort of aura of being bigger than the rest of the a very good team. Why, why would you, why would you say that? You, you could, you could pick out a highlights reel, and I bet you. 85% of it would be against markedly weak opposition. And I think it gave Vinicius Jr. a chance to shine more. I I just felt there was a bit more space for him, I mean, even if it was just in terms of attitude in your head as opposed to on the field. So, yeah, I wouldn't think they're weaker for the l- lack of him, no. I think they did, but not like terribly so. They did because Brazil are at the very best when they're playing really quickly and there's movement and sharp play kind of between the lines. Like we saw for the goal. You're right, there was a deflection, but that I look at that as well and think, I'm not really sure what Switzerland could have done about that. Akanji was confronting Brazil's holding midfielder, who'd made a run into the box. After a lovely little flick by Rodrigo, Vinicius Jr. coming inside. I don't know, he was a, little bit, he was a bit unfortunate, but there wasn't much they could do, and that was just that one piece. There was a few instances in the game where they played like that really quickly, First touch, little flicks around the box, or Vinicius Junior kind of bursting down the line and playing across that one where he played the outside of his right foot was sublime. I just think that Neymar probably is better than anyone else they have at, at that that occupying that space between the lines. So I think they could do with him being back for the for the round of sixteen. Absolutely. And then, so you say round of sixteen, talking looking ahead to the knockouts. As we asked with uh, Portugal, six points. Do you think they've got potential to go further than Portugal? Do you see? better prospects for Brazil, Gregor? Yes. I, at the moment, I would say Brazil, France, they're the two. They're the two for me. I think that they've got star quality. France have one player in particular who's just who could win the, win them the competition. Neymar is not that player for Brazil, but they have enough enough players that are kind of like Vinicius Jr. His pace is extraordinary. If Richarlison really wants to turn up and you know please you, Tom, he, he might do it. And they've got so many players, so many players off the bench too. So much attacking quality that I think they're the two teams to beat. Alison, agree with that? Yeah, they're definitely the two grown-up teams of the tournament so far. You know, who haven't significantly wobbled, look reasonably efficient. I mean, the commentators keep saying things like it's not like watching Brazil, but at times it is. At times it is, and there is they they do produce moments now of course it's nothing like being back in the 70s or whatever but they probably have I don't know they have slightly more swagger than France probably they do but if it was if it came down to a final between the pair of them then I would make France slight favourites yep that's right Brazil showing why they are one of the favourites for the tournament and Portugal looking pretty difficult to beat too now up next we'll be looking ahead 
to the big one, England v Wales. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now, given that the three of us analysed England and Wales games on Friday night, and we'll be back on the game podcast tomorrow to review the action, we thought, and as well, let's be honest, Gregor Robertson, our poor Scottish friend, is sick to death of us analysing England over and over again. We thought we'd give you a break, Gregor. And so we thought we'd give someone else a go. Earlier, I spoke to two of uh, the biggest fans of both teams out in Qatar, Jack, who has been following England, and George, who is a Wales fan. This is what they had to say. Now, I'd like to start by getting an assessment from both of you on how your teams have performed so far, because it's been a little bit up and down. You both had kind of what was seen as good starts, I would say, in differing ways, and then slightly being brought back down to earth. Now, I'd say that assessment applies a little bit more to Wales. So, George, I'm going to start with you. How have you found it as a fan watching your team? And could I have a rating out of 10? Yeah, well, grueling was definitely the answer for the Iran game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the toughest experiences as a Wales fan I've probably ever had, to be honest, watching uh, watching a game. We've played four halves of football and I think we've shown what we can do in one of them, which probably isn't good enough. I mean, there's, there's a general sense from most of the Wales fans out here that we are just happy to be here. It's been great being at a World Cup and being on the world stage. But frankly... Some of the performances haven't haven't been good enough, especially not against Iran. I mean, it was it was so hot there. I was sort of at the front of the the stand in the red wall in the heat, and I think that possibly has been one. Not that I'm making excuses for our team, but one factor that's been slightly overlooked was mm. just how hot it was. But I think everyone came out that game thinking we just didn't show what we can do. We played so much better with this team. The USA game definitely had some positives, especially in the second half, bringing on Kiefer Moore changed how we played I think the only problem there is that some people said this when you start Kiefer Moore you then can't bring on Kiefer Moore and you know <laughs> when you started him against Iran he he's excellent against tired defenses but Gareth Bale didn't really have the legs to run off him in the way that, that maybe Dan James does sometimes not that I wouldn't play Gareth Bale so it's hard to give a rating because as I say I'm really really pleased we're here and we're all so behind this Wales team and they've done so many great things in the last few years but based purely on the performances of this tournament 
I'd probably go a four, a five if I'm generous. I mean, it, it hasn't really been good enough. A generous five and one good half of football out of four. That is pretty tough going for, uh, for, for Wales fans. But I've got to say, I'd probably agree with you, George. Now, Jack, how about you? How have you assessed England's performances so far? You've been at both those, both the games, the highs of the Iran win and then the lows of the drab draw with USA. What do you reckon? Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the first game. Obviously, the Iran win, it was brilliant. Six goals. You don't see that very often in a World Cup game. And I was lucky enough to be there to see it, albeit Iran won, didn't put up much of a fight. The USA draw was dull, as all nil-nil draws really are. But I feel like a lot of overreaction has been happening back home with England fans and even here. I just think as a nation, we are very, very negative when it comes to football. We're used to disappointment. But, you know, looking at our past two tournaments, a semi-final and a final, people like to jump on the bandwagon of a nil-nil draw, a dull performance. We're not good enough. You know, play like that against France or Brazil and we'll get battered. You know, we've seen teams in the past, Germany... In 2014, they drew with Ghana. They scraped past a much weaker US team. um, And they went on to win the tournament. Spain in 2010 lost their first game to Switzerland, arguably the greatest national side ever. Mm. Um, And I'm not saying we're going to go in and win it (laughs) very fast. Go on, go on, Jack. Go on, you can do it. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think tournament football, when have you ever seen a... Well, when was the last time you saw a team come out of a group in a World Cup with nine points? It needs to be taken into account. You know, they probably, Gareth on the night probably thought, you know, we're not playing well. Let's take a point, regroup, go again against Wales on Tuesday. Whatever you want to say about Gareth Southgate as a manager and tactically and whatnot, he's got us in two tournaments, major tournaments, a final and a semi-final. We're getting there. We have a great young squad. So I'm still optimistic of what's to come. Obviously, there are teams out there like... (laughs) Brazil, France, Spain, mm. even, who are playing brilliant football. But it's knockout football. It's a World Cup. You never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I, th- I think we still, we're still in it with a chance and obviously hoping we go out and, and smash Wales on, on Tuesday. The fighting talk's begun. So I assume that's 10 out of 10 then, Jack, if you're, if you're, you're no, asked no, for no. a rating. I wouldn't say 10 out of 10, obviously. Like that, that US game wasn't great. I'm just trying to put it into perspective. I'd give us a 6, 7 out of 10. 6, 7, that's um, fair. On on the um, idea of six, seven out of ten, then I presume that, like a lot of fans, you might be making changes for this final game if you were given the chance to play Gareth Southgate's role. Would you be making changes to that England starting lineup? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think one thing said about that US game was the in-game management and the substitutions made. I didn't agree with, like mm. a lot of people. I, I assume definitely two changes I would make are Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling. I just think they were pretty ineffective. And judging on their club form as well over this season, I just don't think they should be in that team. You could say the same for people like Harry Maguire, but he has been performing the past two games. So the changes I'd go with, I'd bring Foden in for Mount. I think it was criminal to leave him on the bench for 90 minutes when we were looking for a goal. And I'd, I'd bring either Grealish or Rashford in on the left for Sterling. But other mm. than that, you know, I wouldn't really change it too much. I still have faith in that team and the squad. George, you've heard those changes suggested from Jack there. Does that worry you? And if so, how would you change it for Wales going into this must-win game? Well, I mean, it sort of feels like from a Welsh fan perspective, looking at that England team, you know, when I was watching the um, the England-Iran game earlier in the tournament, just uh, watching it in a cafe here, and 
watching some of the players that can come off the bench, the strength of depth in that England team is is unbelievable. So even a slightly changed England team, and as you say, you know, like someone like Foden coming in, it sort of doesn't make a huge amount of difference to how we view it because we know these are players are massive, massive sort of quality players that can make a difference. And certainly, if they, you know, if they were Welsh, we'd love to have them starting <laughs> for our team. I think in terms of what we might do, I mean, we've got one enforced change, which will be that Danny Ward will start um, mm-hmm. after Wayne Hennessy's red card. That, that that might slightly change how we play. I mean, Hennessy's probably a better shot stopper, kind of old school goalkeeper, if you like. Danny Ward, my fear with him is that he does have a bit of a mistake in him. Um, mm-hmm. He made one terrible mistake in qualifying against Czech Republic, but he is pretty good with his feet, which might help us play out for the back a little bit. I thought we were quite poor at doing that against Iran. Otherwise, I wouldn't be inclined to change too much, which might be surprising given how poor we were against Iran. The one change I would certainly want Rob Page to make, and I think he will make, is start Joe Allen if he's fit. That's a huge question mark. Um, Allen hasn't played for months coming into the tournament. Looked really quite rusty against Iran when he came on. But few more days of training in his legs. I hopefully hope he's fit. And I'd probably bring him in for Harry Wilson. You know, there's been calls on, I heard you guys on the game the other day, sort of discussing potentially Bale and or Ramsey dropping out. And yep. I've heard Wales fans out here say the same thing. Personally, I don't think that will happen. I wouldn't want it to happen. I think if Page does that, he potentially opens himself up to a lot of criticism if we lose and Mm. especially if we were to lose badly. I also think you spend these few days saying to Bale and Ramsey, this probably is going to be your last ever shot at a World Cup game, really. If you're not going to get up for it in a World Cup must-win game against England and give 110%, then when are you? You know, play them, get in their heads, have a big talk with them. They were poor against Iran. Ramsey's been our poorest player at the tournament, I think. But they are still game changers. And they're not that old. You know, people are talking about they're past it. Aaron Ramsey is still in his early 30s. He's by no means, you know, he's had fitness issues, but I'd play them. I'd bring Joe Allen in and I think I'd keep it pretty much the same otherwise. I love it, guys. Such such faith. Jack, you've got faith in Gareth Southgate and George, you've got faith in the old guard of the Welsh team. I love it. Absolutely love it. Loyal to the very end. Now, I wanted to talk to both of you about your experiences as fans in Qatar. Obviously been a huge talking point going into the tournament and whilst we've been watching the games. A tournament like no other, a lot of people have called it. I myself have been to a World Cup as a fan. I went to South Africa in 2010. I'm fascinated to know what your experiences have been like, be it from whether you've been able to find any booze, which I know has been a big subject for fans going out there, uh, what the atmospheres have been like, what it's been like to mingle with other fans, you know, who you were there with? Are you there in big groups with supporters? You know, paint us a picture of what it's been like. George, I'm going to start with you. It's been absolutely fascinating. And I've really enjoyed my time here. I'm, I'm cards on the table. I've come up here from quite a privileged position as a, you know, a straight white male. And that sort of perhaps politically is works in kind of my favour. But I'm mm-hmm. going to speak from my own perspective. And it's been a really enjoyable tournament. It's uh, I've never been to this part of the world anyway. And the first few days were quite a culture shock. I mean, it's very, very different to the Western world here. But yeah. it being in one city has been great. I think my sort of concern before coming was that maybe the kind of infrastructure of a city this size couldn't cope with the influx of fans. And that's arguably been the best thing about the tournament travel here is great it's really cheap to get around 
the city is very, very easy to navigate. And there's just, it feels like you're in the middle of a festival of football. There are, mm. you look one way and there's you know, 100 Brazil fans playing drums. And then you see, you know, a bunch of Mexicans with sombreros on having a great time. With regards to the booze, it's harder to get in the UK, but it's not that hard to get. It is, it's expensive. I mean, that I'd say nothing else is particularly expensive. Transport's unbelievably cheap. Food's generally quite reasonable. Alcohol, it's really not hard to find. It is more just a question of how much you're willing to, to spend a night, to be honest. But the benefit how of much are you, How is, much are you willing to spend, George? Come on, you're going to have to fess up now. <laughs> Well, I suppose I'll put it this way, is that the benefit is that I've been here for about eight days and I've not had one hangover since I've been here. So uh, <laughs> that explains it. But it's generally, generally looking 13, 14 pounds a pint Oof. in most of the bars. Yeah, it is steep, but it's there. The football's on everywhere. Yeah, I've, I've had a... It's a really different place for me to have come to and it's not an experience I'll forget anytime soon. Jack, would you agree with that assessment? How have you found it? Are you there with a group of pals? Are you there with a, um, supporters, friends, family? Who are you there with? Um, I'm I'm here with parents. My parents live here. So oh, wow. um, I've been lucky enough to... I'm going to be here for the whole tournament. And yeah, I, I agree with everything George said. It's been fantastic. Like, I know the place already. Um, I know what the culture's like. I hmm. I didn't have that many reservations about you know this tournament being a bad one or whatever because I knew um, I know what this place is like and I think it's it's really blown out of proportion in terms of all the political agendas that have been been going on and everything's being said back in the UK. I think there comes a time where you just need to you know the World Cup's here. We need to just get on with it and mm. and we need to just try and make the most of you know the biggest sporting event in the world. But yeah, when George was saying about the, you know, everything being in the same city, I found it fantastic. Like I was in Moscow in 2018 for the semi-final, mm. and that was brilliant. But like, there's nothing like this. Like you can get to one ground from the other on a match day in within an hour. Like we're going to two quarterfinals in the same day, one at six and one at ten, and the, the infrastructure and the you know for travel and everything makes it possible. Like the metro's free to use air-conditioned it, it makes the tube look in london look awful <laughs> so yeah it's been fantastic alcohol yeah it's not cheap but for a strict muslim country it, it hasn't been that hard to find um yeah. all the fan zones fan parks you know that it's not just the official fifa ones there are places everywhere that you can get your hands on alcohol and i've been a few times george is saying he hasn't had a hangover yet i I unfortunately have. <laughs> um, the the morning after the US game was a bit rough, but yeah, it, it's been it's been amazing, and I've really enjoyed it. And obviously, I'm going to enjoy the rest of it. Great. Now, this has been a very civilized fan head to head. I've got to say, you know, and I know we're the times, so we can be all polite about it. But I'm going to end with a prediction, which maybe is a chance for you to rile each other up. And now, Jack, you were talking earlier about knockout games and quarterfinals. So I'm assuming that you're seeing this final match against Wales as a procession. Give me a prediction. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been watching Wales and I've been... <laughs> I've enjoyed it, let's just say that. <laughs> um, I think they've been dragged through everything by Gareth Bale the past few years and now that he's finally getting on and he can't do it anymore, they have nowhere to turn. Um, so I think that it will be comfortable for England. Um, I'm going to go 4-1. 4-1. George, just when you yeah. thought you could be best pals and meet up for a beer, Jack's mm. punched holes right in that for future friendship. <laughs> Chance for you to respond with a final prediction for us. Yeah, I'll be keeping an eye out for Jack outside the ground <laughs> beforehand. Um, 
know, I, I think speaking, you know, myself and speaking to other Wales fans out here, I think quite a lot of us are expecting now to go home on Wednesday. We realise getting through is going to be very hard. I don't think many of us expect to beat England. I don't know that many of us expect us to draw. We'd love to. I just want us to see us leave everything on the pitch. If that means we lose by a couple of goals, that is fine. I just would like to go home off the back of that game and say, yeah, every player out there gave it their all. If you want my honest opinion, I probably see the score being not that far off what Jack said. I, I, no, well, I'm, in that I'm, case, I don't, I don't I, want your honest opinion, George. I want your deluded, <laughs> right, we're gonna, patriotic opinion. Come on. We're going we're gonna to win 4-0. USA are going to win. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to run through to the uh, round of 16 and all the way on to the final. Come on, Cymru. Wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> there we go. So, chaps, thank you very much for joining the game podcast. And I wish you both a wonderful rest of the tournament. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks for having me. So there we go. Thanks to Jack and George who gave us Tom, their insights is, earlier in the is, is Jack your kind of co-chairman of the Gareth Southgate Appreciation Society? Or what? No, I don't <laughs> want any accusations of any kind of plants or anything like that. I had never met Jack before he appeared on the show. He just happened to be a very intelligent man who happened to be firmly planted <laughs> in the team Gareth Camp. Now, I wonder whether the team Gareth Camp will have more work to do tomorrow we're hearing reports tonight that Gareth Southgate might be on the verge of going back to a back five. Kyle Walker looking like he might be in the team. Jordan Henderson back into midfield just to shore it up, you know. Gareth must have been worried after watching that fantastic Wales performance against Iran. Now, we heard predictions there from both the guys. Jack being pretty confident, he went for a 4-1 win. Uh, and George giving two different predictions, of course. He went for uh, a 4-1 England win as well. But then when I challenged him to be a bit more patriotic, he said that Wales would triumph. Alison, what do you think will happen? Yeah, it'd probably be nil-nil, wouldn't it? Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. She's she's used up all her excitement on Serbia and Cameroon and Ghana and South Korea. Nil-nil, if you say so. Gregor, come on, you must be expecting a few goals, surely. Yeah, I feel like it could be... I think it's going to be tight. You know, there's something very different about games between nations from the British Isles. Um, so nil nil, that's what you're saying. <laughs> no, I think like two one to England. Two one to England. I've got to say, I think I agree with you. I think my only predictions are that I think Wales will score, I think England will win, and I think that this time tomorrow we'll all be slagging off Gareth Southgate, apart from me and Jack, of course legendary Jack good lad so thanks to him and to George and to Gregor and to Alison and thank you all for listening to the Game World Cup podcast we'll be back tomorrow to talk about I'm sure a triumphant England victory over Wales and their clean progression through to the knockouts thanks for listening listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone